one phone line. Talk radio without distractions. Email your questions and comments to win at cthcitycenter.com. And now your host, Lynn Carter. Hey, hello there and welcome uh, to the program. It is uh, January 3rd, 2019. I actually wrote that on a check the other day and didn't screw up. Although I st <laughs> instead of two, uh, I started with sometimes I actually do 19. That is how messed up I am. Oh, oh yeah, I remember. It's uh, 19, uh, oh, 19, 19, 19. Oh nine, nineteen. I don't know what you know. They say if you don't know what year it is, that's a clear sign that there's some kind of thing. And I have sometimes difficulty with that. Two thousand nineteen. Jeez. Okay. Um. I I I don't want to. I'm I'm shutting down talk of the shutdown. <laughs> I just you know. I just hate dancing to the tune that uh, DC sets and especially Donald Trump and his truculence so I I just you know I hope they find a way out today's historic day uh, in that the Democrats will today gain uh, true political power again in Washington uh, when they take over the House of Representatives. It's limited uh, power, obviously, with uh, all the other branches held by Republicans, but it's something, and uh, I'll look forward to it. I'll tell you something I'm not looking forward to. I'm not looking forward to the uh, circular firing squad that will be the uh, the Democrats as they try to figure out who amongst them is the person to run for president. I, I don't, it's going to be ugly. Anytime you have this much of an open field with these most consequential, I keep, you know, this is a word I never used in the past, and now I seem to, I use it constantly consequential year, consequential vote, consequential election, consequential, <laughs> I guess. Um, you know, but the party uh, has uh, a uh, enlivened uh, left flank now. It has a lot of s sort of middle-of-the-road uh, liberal types. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be ugly, and it's already, you know, starting. Um, and I'm going to have to, again, pace myself. I can't get into this crap yet. So people already, you know, is Elizabeth Warren likable enough? Is she, you know, do they ask that anytime a man says I'm running? I mean, Ted Cruz, for instance, is universally understood to be the most unlikable human being in Washington, D.C., which takes some doing. There's nobody, who's it, Lindsey Graham, who famously said that if he were, sh you know, somehow killed on the, I don't know what he said, he said no one would come to his aid, nobody, ca he, he's just that hated. But you never, I don't know, I don't know, I give up. So there's going to be a lot of, uh, 
Democrat on Democrat uh, craziness and uh, anger. And I'm so, so exhausted by all the anger in the air that I just don't want to go there. So I just telling you, the horse race aspect uh, of this uh, next election, <laughs> it being two years away, is not something I am going to indulge in. Unfortunately, the same cannot be said of uh, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, and uh, other media outlets who never learn their lesson. Uh-oh, sorry, but I have you at full volume, and it's a struggle to hear. Anybody else? Anybody else? Uh, all I can say is that sometimes when I get these uh, comments, uh, no one else, everybody else writes in and says, I can hear you just fine. So I, I don't know. So I, I need a second. This is uh, to... Uh, one person saying, I have you at full volume and it's a struggle to hear. If I switch to any other YouTube station or thing, the sound is blasting. Amy is looking into it, but uh, I don't know what to say. And uh, somebody who's listening on YouTube, can you um, tell me if your audio is okay? That would be helpful. Or not. Okay. Uh, volume. The audio is extremely low this morning. Happy New Year, Tom. Oh, shit. Okay. I guess it's low. Um... We'll do what we can. Let me know if it gets any better. Okay. Sorry. Um, well, that's weird. Milton says, loud and clear in Columbus. And you're on YouTube? Well, how the hell can that be? Lynn agrees, very low volume, and Aaron says it's fine. Ah! Ah! I, okay, so, I, uh, I, uh, uh, Josie says me too, but Josie, I don't know what you're saying, me too, too, because we have people coming down on both sides. Is your audio high or is your audio low? Shit. So, we're getting, um, uh, nothing's easy. Um, I, I'm just gonna I, I'm gonna have to keep going here, and we'll uh, we'll do what we can. Is all I can say. I I I I personally. Okay, Milton reiterates he's on YouTube, and there's no audio problem. That he's in Columbus. Does that make any difference? Why the hell would that make any difference? Denise said, yesterday I had everything maxed out and couldn't hear you. Today sounds fine. <laughs> okay. And I did get something I didn't tell Amy. I got something from someone yesterday who said he could barely hear us. So how the hell? So you're saying that 
today you can hear on YouTube. How is that possible? Do we have any smart cookies in the audience who can explain how we're getting some people saying it's fine on YouTube and others saying it's not? Okay, here's somebody. I'm listening through the Pittsburgh City Paper website. The audio is extremely low. Okay. Uh, Aaron says it's okay on YouTube. Ed says starting out your volume was low and now it's good. <laughs> we could do a whole show like this. Just, okay? When some of you go low, we go high. We got people on both ends of the spectrum, which is pretty wonderful. All over the place. Well, all I can do is, uh, I appreciate the feedback, by the way. We got to know this stuff. Um, <clears throat> but you, you would agree with me that the fact that some of you say, eh, no problem, and others are saying, can't hear a thing, and some are saying it started out low and now it's fine. I mean, you can't get what that that doesn't give us much information because it's it's like contradictory. I don't know what we're supposed to make of that. I don't know. Uh, there's another one is low, and I'm in Butler. This is a common problem with this show. Other YouTube audio is always fine. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Thank you. Um, I can talk real loud. I got a feeling that's not the that's not the right answer. <clears throat> okay. Hey, somebody wrote me. Did any of you know the answer to this either? Since I clearly don't know much about anything. Uh, to muddy the waters, Milton says, both YouTube and City Paper website, are volume fine. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> okay, so I have a question from one of, one of you has written... Tony Norman's column in the Post-Gazette has been suspiciously absent for a little over two weeks. There's been no indication that he was fired or quit since... Uh, does anyone know what happened to him? Uh, I did not know that he was missing, and maybe he's not. Maybe he's on a prolonged vacation. Maybe he took a sabbatical of some sort he's been known to do that uh maybe his head exploded and he said i can't do it anymore <laughs> i don't know but i would think <clears throat> uh we would have noted that somehow that i would know that i follow tony on twitter so i would think i i would have known um here is an observation from Ray. I would take the volume blame on my end, except your show is the singular 
volume issue on every one of my platforms. Well, <clears throat> we aim to set ourselves apart from the pack, Ray. I never cotton to being just like everybody else. <coughs> you know, these days with anybody being able to put a mic in front of their face and start babbling on the Internet, you want to be able to, you know, stand out in some manner. And the fact that my listeners have to work at hearing me um, shows a certain resolve that uh, is extraordinarily admirable and uh, for which I am extremely grateful. I admit, I have no idea what I'm saying anymore. So what are we going to do here? Um, so it's been now found out that on the Sanders campaign, women were being harassed left and right. No one was doing anything about it. Uh, also, women were being paid thousands of dollars less for the same job. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is your progressive Senator Sanders. Hey, Bernie. So, um, just saying... Uh, actually a pretty big story about it in uh, the New York Times today. It's not just one woman, it's tons of women. And uh, apparently it was a pretty big issue and it was never really addressed, despite numerous complaints. Shocking, isn't it? A group of mostly white men not paying attention to what? Women? Stunning. I'm going to try something a little different tomorrow. I hope we have audio. Uh, we're going to have a guest in the studio, just a heads up here. I can't tell you much about him. He's a, he's a roofer. Roofer. He, uh, he's a blue-collar guy. His name's Joe. I... Uh, I bumped into him at a uh, charitable event. He stood out in the crowd because the crowd was very sort of, you know, dolled up and in a certain manner, and, and he was not. <laughs> he looked like he'd just gotten off the roof, and um, I think he made some, some kind of remark to me about that, and we started talking. Anyway, um, he is like sort of this classic blue-collar, tough, everyman kind of character, as far as I could tell. I, I, I did enjoy uh, my conversation with him, although I felt like, yeah, we were sort of... <laughs> and politically, um, he votes Democrat, but... He is as odd a, a, a person in his, uh, you know, where he lives as there is because the rest of his friends and coworkers and uh, all vote Trump. So I, I said, I think it'd be interesting to have you on someday to see if you could explain to us what it is 
that makes us so anathema to blue-collar types. I mean, we keep being told that, that we're elitist, that we look down our noses, that we're this, that, and we don't understand, and we classify all of them as racists and this and that and blah, blah, blah. He, I, I just want to get this guy's perspective. I don't know if it seems a little crazy to pick one person, but he seems to be uh, somebody who straddles a bit uh, the divide between um, educated white-collar liberal types and uh, less educated blue-collar working types. Um, we'll see, right? So he'll stop by maybe in the last half hour uh, tomorrow, and uh, he'll be as an exotic a creature as the sex phone worker was to me. I mean, I just, you know, we do. We, we hang with our own kind all the time, and it's, um, it's always interesting to listen to people who can give us um, a broader picture. Uh, we have a call. Caller, go ahead. They hung up. They just called. All right. Well, it's calling you. Um, I also did not speak yesterday about the op-ed that Mitt Romney uh, wrote in the Washington Post. I read it. Um, I found it uh, totally uh, uninteresting. Uh <laughs> And didn't see any point in talking about it. Um, it, it. It was no different than something that, yeah, Jeff Flake might have written. And uh, so what? Uh, obviously, Romney sees, he's smelling some blood in the water, uh, as I think anybody uh, would in regard to Trump. And he's clearly wanting to be in the game and, and getting himself out there as a potential um contender for uh, the Republican nomination in 2020. And uh, I, you know, I know he's not Donald Trump, but that's not enough. The fact is, is that he, like most Republicans, uh, is thrilled with much of the policy changes that have occurred under this administration. And his only real problem with Trump is the fact that Trump is... Um, a vulgar, erratic, uh, crazy person. Uh, he doesn't quite come right out and say it, but the politics are the same. And you could argue that having like a sane person who uh, pursues those same policies in office is even more dangerous. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But we're in for a, a, a wild ride, without a doubt. I mean, and what... I, I don't want to. But did you see that poster, that Game of Thrones-like poster that Trump had in the cabinet table in front of him at this cabinet meeting yesterday where the, the acting AG, that beefed-up steroid-infused nitwit from Iowa, um, got up and, 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 and kissed Trump's ass in the most... I mean, humiliating manner. It, it, it was, I don't know how anyone sitting around that table could listen to it and not walk out and or puke 
and or say, that's it for me. I can't do this anymore. I'm out of here. And then Trump sitting there with this poster of him a la Game of Thrones saying, sanctions are coming. For those of you who don't know Game of Thrones, it's a takeoff on their, um, on winter is coming, which I'm not going to go into it. But this is a president who has posters made up of himself as like a Game of Thrones character and puts it on the cabinet table during a cabinet meeting. Uh, wow. I, I, you would think by now none of it would bother me, and I, it, it, it doesn't if I, if I don't watch. So I got to pull back a little bit again. It's unbelievable. The whole absurd scene. So I'm going to go to, I don't even know if anyone's hearing me. <laughs> I guess a few of you are, right? Um, I'm going to go to a piece I saw that is, you know, it's a, a bugaboo of mine, and those of you who know me know it is, but every time I read something about this, I, I go ballistic. And it has to do with... Um, modern mothers, what they call, mo well, now the way people mother their children these days. And notice, these are always about mothers. These are not about fathers. So we're talking about mothers who also may hold down some high-pressure job, but when they get home, and even when they're on the job, they're expected to be the world's greatest mother as well as, of course, the world's greatest wife, the world's greatest, uh, you know, sexual partner, the world's greatest, uh, you name it. But what women got on their table in a lot of uh, marriages is just a ludicrous load. And the mothering part is part of that load that has gotten out of control. What constitutes good mothering? I come from the laissez-faire school. I come from basic mothering is providing a stable environment for the child, feeding, clothing the child, uh, promoting values uh, by your example for the child, and um, teaching them, you know, basic manners and um, how to get along in the world. That's it, I think. I That's it as far as I'm concerned. It doesn't have to do with uh, scheduling them, and it doesn't have to do with uh, helping them with their homework. Seriously. When did that start? I, I'm, I'm truly asking, what is the point of helping them with their homework? I thought they had teachers who were supposed to be educating them. Um, I next to never help my child with his homework. And you can say, well, that makes you a very bad mom. But it wasn't my homework. It was his. And there's this big piece. It was in the Times on Christmas Day. 
And it's about the stress, the exhaustion, and the guilt of modern parenting. And this article so enraged me. For one thing, it is driven by the people that Trump voters hate. <laughs> I, I made that connection in my own head. Um, the people who can never get enough for their own kid. As if parenting is, is like a roller derby or something where you got to have sharp elbows and you have to clear the way for your golden child. It, when I encountered it in real time and in disbelief as I uh, raised my son, I, I really was astonished at what people felt proper parenting was. It came as a big surprise to me and I simply refused to do it. Absolutely refused. As far as I can tell, my kid's okay. Yeah, he's not making six figures and um, all that, but so much of what this new kind of parenting is about is just that. It's about making sure your kid has an inside track to the best schools and then the best jobs and then the most status and the most money. It's so American in that it's a striving for, I think, money. <laughs> That's what it looks like to me if you boil it all down. And so... The people who already have a head start with their kids by virtue of their skin color, they're white, by virtue of maybe their income, um, that ain't good enough. They pull their kids out of the public schools. They move up. They get up and move to suburbs with better schools. They, oh, shut up. Thank you. Um, and... I right there fault those people. I right there fault those people. They have, I think, done terrible damage to the public school system, the urban public school system. And it's, I don't know if I'm, I can be uh, coherent because I get so angry. I know a parent's job is to look after their child, but if you've never have a broader view, then I think you're not a good person because I think good people think beyond their own interests and look at bigger pictures and look at their part in a community. I'm, I'm serious. That's, those are the values that my parents taught me 
Um, so you don't abandon the public schools. You make them better. You have your child go to school with people unlike him or her. That's the first thing in introducing them to the world, right? Not everybody is like us. And what most parents seem to do is keep their child in these little bubbles. People just like us. And so, you know, sociologists are, and psychologists are starting to look at this uh, and starting to have enough of it because this kind of parenting has gone on now for decades to see the results. And the results are a little bit troublesome because the results are some very needy young adults who never struggled other than the struggle of staying ahead, other than constantly being in that competitive race for the best GPA and the top and the best school and the this. These kids, everybody points out, are more anxious, more depressed, more suicidal than any that have been seen before. We were talking about happiness yesterday, and they ain't happy. So as the gap between rich and poor increases, these are people that help pull it farther and farther apart. A sociologist who's studied this a lot, Jessica something, Calarco, says... Um, Intensive parenting, that's what they call it, is a way for especially affluent white mothers to make sure their children are maintaining their advantaged position in society. <laughs> okay. See, I find that disgusting. I'm sorry. Intensive parenting, says right here, was first described in the 1990s. That's when my child was a child. So I just hit it right dead on and saw it and uh, was so repulsed by it. Some of it, I thought at the time, was the result of extremely educated white women uh, who gave up jobs and careers to parent. And they approached that job of parenting every with the same kind of intensity they would have brought to a high-powered uh, gig with a major corporation with that level of intensity. <laughs> and they made things very difficult for mothers like me who who didn't see parenting like this at all, who still wanted to do a pretty much, you know, laissez-faire, let them go out and play, let them walk to school by themselves, 
Let them take the friggin' bus, for that matter, by themselves. Let them fail. Let them fall down. Let them play terrible games like dodgeball where they might get hurt. Let them be. Let them be bored. And these kids today are never bored. My God, they've got input every five seconds. And they learned it by being shuttled from this event to that event to this event, from soccer practice to piano lessons to blah, 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 to this and that, to sitting around with mommy and doing their homework on the side. What the fuck? Excuse me. I'm just going to have a... They say that what happened to parenting in the 90s was actually a major shift in how people viewed children. And we know it because what happened is children became the central figure of the family around which everything else orbited. And this is a total change from what parenting had been, which is that the parent was the center and the children orbited around it. So this was a total role reversal. And so what resulted was this totally child-focused, child-centered, expert-guided, labor-intensive, financially expensive, 24-7 job of parenting. And all the studies show that while fathers are more involved, all of this crap, almost all of it, falls on mothers. And here's something that is so disquieting. Intensive parenting and its trappings are fixtures of white, upper-middle-class American culture. But the expectations that they have created have permeated all corners of society, whether or not parents can achieve them or not. So what these over-striving, over-involved, white, upper-middle-class parents have created is, some, is an environment so fraught for other parents who may be working two or three jobs, who don't have resources, don't have the money to afford these legs up. The SAT, even you know things like SAT prep. And these parents cannot give their kids enough advantage. They just keep on coming. And I, I do, I have to admit, I, I really loathe them for the environment they've created, the anxiety they create, the stress they create, and the growing chasm between haves and have-nots that they create. I mean, these are parents that, this is where it comes from. When you see a pregnant woman, it's already starting. 
right? And that a pregnant woman now will not take a sip of wine, right? Because if she does, somebody might actually, you know, do a citizen's arrest. The child starts to rule in utero. And then you get the whole, you know, oh, we'll do sugar-free birthday cakes. And, and when we're in the car, we listen to special educational toddler music. And we have to breastfeed. And there's all these things that began to be absolutes and musts. And believe it or not, it ain't all necessary. One size doesn't fit all. And the fact that this is the United States of America where there is no support for women and child rearing as there is in other cultures. And yet the expectations here are, are sky high. There's next to no support for working mothers paid parental leave, most Americans don't have it, subsidized child care, most don't have it, access to flexible scheduling, most don't have it, and a neighborhood network where at-home mothers might sort of pick up slack for others, rare, and other cultures raise children in a totally different way and they point specifically to Japan which sounds like what I would like us to be more like. In Tokyo children start riding the subway alone by first grade. That's the way it should be. Start riding. I still see kids that look like they're 10 and 11 being walked three blocks from their house to wait in a safe neighborhood for a friggin' school bus. And then when they're brought home in the same bus later in the day, the parent is standing there waiting for the child. I wanna puke. In Paris, after school, kids go to playgrounds by themselves and they play. I just want to say, what passes for good parenting these days is the opposite. It is the opposite. These over-involved parents are nightmares. Nightmares. And their children will be nightmares, too. Hello, caller. Hey, Lynn, it's Jeff. Happy Hi, New Jeff. Year. Happy New Year. You said the magic word. Why? And I don't know if you realize what word you said expectations yeah and it got and you know what the thing is the expectations they it it travels beyond parenting it goes toward people who are disgruntled because of their economic situation and uh i I think it's uh the unrealistic expectations that we have are formed by the media that uh we're exposed to yeah so that when you're watching TV, no matter what station, football, whatever, as long as it's not PBS, and even sometimes PBS, 
there's all the always happy families. There are people getting uh, automobiles for Christmas. Uh, everybody has to have the newest technology. All the children are healthy and happy and the families, and it's completely unrealistic expectations. Right. And I think it goes along with what you're talking about parenting, and I think it has to do with uh, people's own view of themselves economically. And it ties into what you were talking about yesterday and happiness. Yeah. So that's yeah. kind of my brief take on that. Well, I think I, I, mean, think I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. And you know what studies are showing is the expectations are creating so much pressure on poor families that they are poor families are now spending much more than they ever did on their children and which often money they can ill afford to spend but they feel desperate because they see these little children of privilege uh setting the pace and they can't keep up so yeah, the well it's impossible the, the anxiety that's possible for people of wealth well, but see, the, know, it's the people of wealth who... boils down, we're all human. Yeah, but the pe it's the people with money and expectations for their children that set up this competitive game. And um, as if, I, I guess what bothers me most, is if they weren't already starting on third base. I mean, where they got such a lead as it is, and it ain't big enough for them. I just hate them. Yeah. I'm sorry. I hate what they've done to childhood. I hate what they've done to a lot of parents who would otherwise be, you know, do a model of parenting that was much less child-centered. And you know what? The children you would know, be better off. It's one of the things I love about living in the city, too, is that I can go up into Squirrel Hill or here in Greenfield and see kids riding their bike. Yep. To go down to the local store to get some candy. The same way I used to do. Right. You don't I do see too. that out in the suburbs. I still have a house right. out in the suburbs. And you know what? I don't see a kid ever. And I know that there's kids. Half of them are homeschooled on the street where I own a house. And the other half, I guess, are inside playing video games as they're going to public school. Or else they're in some kind of organized thing. I mean, when we were kids, boom. We were out the door. We were down to play. And there's no reason. And there's no reason why. Woods, yeah. You know. And there's no reason why that can't be happening again. It is absolutely insane and, how parents and, view the world as this and, hostile place that their child is going to die in if they're not there with them every two seconds. It's just crazy. And once again, the expectation. Oh, there's child abuse. There's That's some, media. Somebody is always around right. the corner lurking right. to take your kid. Right. So once again, there's not only positive expectations, but negative expectations mm -hmm. drive all this stuff. Yeah. And just real quick, I want because you were talking about happiness. I love that conversation. I could go on forever about that conversation. But when you brought that up, you know, the first thing that popped into my mind hmm. was like Christmas gifts. And I remember my mom telling me, you know, she was born in 1920 how happy she was to get an orange yeah. for Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Happier you know, than, happier than kids today <laughs> getting God knows what, you know. Yeah. I, well, kid today, if he gets, you know, if he gets the Model X1, the other kid down the street's got the Model X2, so the X1 isn't good enough. Right, you know? that's right. Yeah. Well, I just thought I'd 
put my two cents in there. I appreciate them. Uh, listening to you faithfully. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> it. Bye. Bye. Yeah, I for some reason I've got I am seeing kids. I've start I was startled the other day walking the dog by kids who looked to be six, seven, and they were riding bikes and um uh one of them didn't even have a helmet on and they were uh you know carousing around the neighborhood. I watched them going up one sidewalk and down another and I thought, lucky, lucky kid. They have a parent that, for whatever reason, ain't buying into this shit. Caller, hello. Hello, this huh? is uh, Clarence from Cannonsburg. Yes, sir. <laughs> As I was listening, I was turning down my uh, thing, and that's what that pause was. I had a spot, you know, about um, a couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago. I'm doing caricatures in Heinz Field for, they call it the Steelers Christmas Party. I'm standing there waiting for the thing to start. Kid that worked there walks up to me and says, hey, mister, you got a nice outfit. I like that. I'm like, thanks. Uh, let me tell you something. Uh, everything I have on, including the shoes, probably cost me $35. He goes, wow, man, really? Yeah. I said, Goodwill, thrift stores, secondhand stores. <laughs> he goes, wow, man, even those shoes. I'm like, yeah, I had on a pair of Nikes. I said they were four ninety nine, brand new. Are you serious? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he, he said, he, he said, oh man, I'm saving up to get these drawers, man, that I won. I said, how much are they? He said about three hundred and something dollars. I said, are you crazy? I said, you just complimented me <laughs> on thirty five dollars worth of clothes, including my shoes, and you're going to sit here at minimum wage and save up to buy a three hundred dollar pair of shoes. I said, think about it. Yeah, my grandmother tells me the same thing. Your grandmother's smart. <laughs> Listen, uh-huh. <laughs> there are people. I said you're working. I said you're, you're working really hard to try to meet some kind of standards or to be cool. But you just came to me and told me I was cool, and I just told you that I got everything from the thrift stores. You can do that. <laughs> and Absolutely. he goes, "Oh, I have to start thinking about it." I'm like, "No, nah, man, don't think about it. Do it." Oh, uh, good for you. For the rest of your life. <laughs> I said you'll be suffering. I said, "Trust me." I said, "I was in your shoes." What started me on the thrift stores was back in like 1986 or something like that. I bought on sale a Claiborne jacket from Horns. Remember Horns? Yes. <laughs> Claiborne just, you know, Liz Claiborne just started doing menswear. And I'm, you know, I'm going to be cool. It was on sale for $200 on sale. Mm-hmm. And I bought it. I'm, I'm happy as a lark. Look at me. I'm, you know, moving up for the projects. So a week later, I'm in Gabe's. No, no, Gabriel and you Brothers, saw it. You saw the it? The same jacket, $10. No! And, <laughs> oh. and I went back. I No, I, I bought that $10 jacket and took the $200 jacket back. I said, I will never do that. will never happen to me again. <laughs> never. <laughs> you know, and that's and another thought that I had was back in the days when I was in high school and stuff when, you know, you're hanging out with the guys and they, you know, they're saying, you know, oh, we're not gonna, you got to do this like us, you got to do this like us. And I just remind them, like, look, I'm the cool one. I'm hanging around with, I mean, you're hanging around with me. I'm not hanging around with you. <laughs> you know, that's so, you, you, go, you go anywhere you want. Basically, that, that's, that's, that's the attitude that people have to start getting. Like, you don't have to. I don't care what the media tells you. You know, but you most. You don't have to do it. Yeah, but Clarence, <laughs> it's not, most. It's not be the end of the world. But most people. <laughs> 
most people, and you know this by having been alive as long as you have been alive, most people do not have that ability to stand on their own. They they feel such pressure, such intense pressure to be part of the pack, to be to do mm-hmm. what the expectations are. Um, and it takes a certain kind of iconoclastic personality, I think, to pull yeah. away from that. And, you know, you have really that. Good. My son has that, too. He's taken after you. He only shops <laughs> at thrift shops. And I can't buy him. He won't even accept gifts from me if it's not something. He doesn't want anything. Now... That's the kind of. You know what? I, I've never been. I've never been to South America, but that could be my kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could. <laughs> you know, he could. I, you know, I, I said, yeah, I don't really want anything. Right. Just He's like that too. Quick, <laughs> a real quick story. Um, friend of mine from childhood, name is Big Scott. Talked to him, you know, around the holidays, and and we were reminiscing about. Because we both were going to be yuppies back in the 80s. We're going to be yuppies. We're getting other projects. We're going to do this, that, thing. And he is. He's a yuppie. And he remembers me back in, like, the early 90s saying, I'm out. <laughs> 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 you know, I'm, not doing this, I'm not doing this rat race crap. And uh, he had an uncle who was, like, some, he had, like, a nervous breakdown, but he was living with him. He had some kind of high government job or something like that. But this was the most intelligent human being I've ever met. And I went to him, I said, do you remember saying I'm going to be Uncle Melkai? And he goes, yeah, I definitely remember that. I said, yeah, I'm going for intellectual pursuits as opposed to money pursuits. <laughs> and that's what I've been doing ever since. And you've been <laughs> you've been relatively happy doing it. Yeah, right. exactly. Right. That, that was my pursuit of happiness. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> I, it, it, but people who mistake that pursuit with money and material goods um, mm-hmm. it's such a mistake, but whatever. I, yeah. yeah. Well, I I love the advice you gave the kid, but the odds are you'd need to see him every day, uh, you know, for the next ten years. <laughs> Believe me, I, I, I've having I haven't even had a really good effect on trying to get my nephew. There you go. It's, that nonsense, yeah, so. it's really hard. <laughs> I agree. It is really hard. Hey, thank you, Clarence. Yeah. Good You're to talk welcome. to. You. Bye. Bye. Yeah. I was actually wistfully, I was walking the dog the other night thinking, gee, I'd so like to get my son um, a really great gift. His birthday's coming up. And I even thought, gee, I, he's driving that old crap car. I, I could give him, I'd get him a car. And then I thought, no, you couldn't because he wouldn't accept it. So... I don't know. So I wasn't a helicopter parent, and I, I he's a he's a wonderful person, but he's an odd one, and he doesn't follow the pack. There's another caller. Every time somebody hangs up, somebody else is there. I guess somebody's hearing this. Hello. Hey, Lynn, it's Mike in D.C. Hi, Mike. Sorry for calling two days in a row. It's okay. But um, I wanted to I wanted to echo what you were talking about motherhood. What's it called again? What kind of motherhood is it? Intensive. Intensive motherhood. 
it's even bled over into fiction. Um, Susan talked about the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yes. And mm-hmm. she's a comedian, right? Have you right. seen it yet? No, I've seen bits. Don't get and on And she, okay. all the reviews underneath it, or several of the re- reviews underneath it call her a terrible mother because she's not an intensive mother. She's a mother like I had or like you had. Yeah. They had a life. Yeah. And the kids were just responsible for getting from point A to point B on their own. Right. Um, they mothers now expect you, expect them to give up their lives, to nurture their child right. into adulthood. Right. Which is bullshit. And I, say to my, I, I know, and I say to my friends who are mothers, you know that you're teaching your kid right, that if they become mothers, they have to give up their life. And what kid is, what person, rational person is going to want to do that? You're training your kid not ever to be a parent because who would want to give up their life like that? <laughs> Especially when you've been the center of the universe. You have to go from being the center right. of the universe to all of a sudden you know, being nothing more than tending to your child night and day. Uh, right. I, they're they're yeah. never going to have grandchildren. Serves them right. <laughs> yeah. And God forbid they should try to spoil their grandchildren because they won't be able to because they're already spoiled little brats. Right. They already have everything. My grandmother used to take me to get ice cream, and it was such a big deal. We're yeah. getting ice cream with Grandma. Now they look at you and like, there's ice cream in the refrigerator. What the hell is this? It's, I, I know, I know, I know. You know what and a child today would want is, is, is a moment to themselves. You know, if I were a child today... I would just want everybody to get the F out of my life and leave me alone. I don't know how they can stand it. And they become, they're, they're made so dependent in that they have to call their parents, even as adults. They have to call them every two minutes. They can't make a life decision without going by, you know, sending it, through mom and dad and blah, blah, blah. And I, that is not, I don't know. I don't get it. I simply don't get it. I thought the idea of having a child was simply to get them to be a, um, an adult who could operate on their own and function as a good member of society. That's what I thought the job was. And it was the job to throw them out of the nest just like you see the animals do. And parents today won't let go. Because the kid isn't a kid. It's an accessory. It's an extension of themselves. Right. It's an accessory. It's an accessory. Look at my fabulous person. That's look at my right. my fabulous kid. Right. Look at my fabulous house. Right, right, right. It's an accessory. Right, and that you can brag wants about. To be an accessory. And that kid's going to figure that out and abandon know. them, and they're never going to talk to their parents. I don't know. I don't know. I see a lot of these kids totally joined to their parents. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's the end result, always. Well, they'll be the first generation ever to not revolt. Maybe that's true. Because every re- generation of kids revolts against something. And so there'll be a generation of kids who are like, no, my kid's going to walk to the bath. Sue me. And there's <laughs> right. parents who send their kids to the, to the park by themselves when they're 8, 9, and 10 years old, and people call the cops on yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they do. That's right. That's why the state of Utah actually passed a law that says that, uh, what is it called? The uh, I've got it here somewhere. 
free-range parenting law. Mind your own business law? Yeah, which <laughs> is just if you see children unattended at a park, mind your own effing business and don't call the cops. I don't <laughs> I, I Unbelievable. Hey, I got to go. I have another call. Aren't we popular? Aren't we? Bye, Mike. Bye. Bye. Okay, caller, go ahead. Oh, hi there, Lynn. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, it's your friend Larry. And um, I just want to let you know my uh, brother-in-law has a friend that works downtown at a major corporation. And there's actually, you know, this friend has a job where they interact with the parents of the new hires. Oh, God. They ah. have to, you know, it's like, what, what should they wear? All this type of stuff. Oh, my God. Oh, my yeah. God. I've, yeah, I've so read about this. Yeah, I've read about this. The corporations now have... Mothers. Yeah, they actually have positions for people to handle the parents of these... God almighty. Right. Oh, God. <laughs> See, we're, we, and you wonder why America is in decline. Huh? Right, 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 right. God. And, and I think, you know, the revolution is going to take place, like uh, Michael was saying. Well... Uh, you know, the kids will just... Enough of this. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. God! Thank you, Larry. Yeah. Appreciate it. Okay, good talking to you. Good talk. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Bye. -bye. Bye. Uh, here's a blast from the 60s. Uh, Barbara has sent me a poem by Khalil Gibran on children. Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you, for life goes not backward nor tarries with yesterday. You are the bows from which your children as living arrows are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with his might that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness, for even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves also the bow that is stable and stays out of their children's lives. I uh, appended that. I don't know. Well, we all got the problem is we all got to live with it. This this article, by the way, ended with a quote from this woman here. There's a woman here who is a wreck, a wreck. This is what she's the epitome of American motherhood, and she has a job outside. And she says, "There's this sense that something is wrong with you if you aren't with your children every second when you're not at work." And so this woman admits. She's never not without her son. 
and there's a picture of them eating and she is with that poor kid every frigging second and she goes on to say this that she lives in a state of anxiety she said I don't want to hover but trying to oversee homework to limit his screen time and attend to Isaac's needs I have no choice and here's the money quote at any given moment everything could just fall apart <laughs> that is how an American parents if she leaves the kid for one second everything could just fall apart I probably should have for more sympathy for these women but they bring it on themselves and they live in that bubble in which all the others are doing it because I I ended up in that bubble as a mother and I hated it and refused it and I'm sure was looked on as a horrible mother God anyway that's the show for today and uh, I'll be back tomorrow and remember we're getting like a, a blue-collar guy it's an exotic you know show-and-tell kind of a thing and we're going to sort of decipher him and figure out if maybe we are living in a bubble. See you tomorrow. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoint of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.